Hey everybody, welcome back to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast where we help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy and our topic this month is corporate culture. And to ensure that this month's podcast will actually help you go further faster, my special guest is Ginger Hardage. And she's back in the studio with us to continue the conversation we actually began last month. So welcome back, Ginger. Andy, great to be back with you again. And I love covering our first two lies. And we'll be talking about even more about corporate culture, the other three lies today. Yep. Now, many of you know our special guest because she was Senior Vice President of Culture and Communications at Southwest Airlines for about 25 years. And during her 25-year run with Southwest Airlines, Ginger led the team that was responsible for building and sustaining that legendary culture that we are all so familiar with. So um, once again, we have the expert in the room when it comes to corporate culture. Now, as Ginger just indicated last time, we introduced what she refers to as the five lies about corporate culture. We covered the first two. So if you missed that episode, I recommend that you hit pause and go back and give it a listen. But even for those of you who did tune in, it has been a minute. So Ginger, remind us of why this is such an important topic, the topic of corporate culture, and maybe give us a quick summary of those first two lies. Absolutely. Well, you every organization has a culture. You can either have one that is uh, by default, by not guiding it, or you can have one that's intentional. And that's what we're all going for, is the kind of culture that can drive our results. So that's number one, because a lot of people believe culture is fluffy, but we're looking for the type of culture that can help you have a return on culture and drive the bottom line, drive your retention, drive your customer satisfaction. And that's what we teach in Unstoppable Cultures. And also some people think culture is somebody else's job, but in the healthiest organizations, culture is everyone's job, but it's a requirement for leaders. And we talk about what it is like as a leader to set the tone for the culture in your organization. So the first lie is that culture is somehow fluffy or just soft, so intangible that it's not important. That's not true. And the second lie is that it's someone else's job when in fact it is all of our job. So before we drop into this third lie, talk for just a minute about how important it is to define the culture of an organization, even though culture is very difficult to define. Um, but if it's not defined, then of course it's someone else's job. It's so undefined, I don't even want to mess with it. And if it's undefined, it does feel fluffy. So at Southwest Airlines, and even with your work with the Ronald McDonald House, clearly you have something in mind when you think about the culture but it has to be spelled out in such a way that you, it can be transferred in a conversation or transferred with an icon or transferred through values or phrases. So when you think about defining or clearly defining a culture, how did you do that? Or wh what does that look like? Because that kind of sets us up for this third lie, because the third lie is, well, our values are on the wall. And <laughs> you know, what I say to organizations all the time is, hey, is what's on the wall happening in the hall? Because if what's on the wall isn't happening in the hall, there's no transference. And oftentimes, it's the culture that connects those grandiose values to the, you know, the daily activity of the organizations. So in your corporate experience, did you define culture with an icon, with a sentence, with words, with values? Was it a combination? So when people came to, to work with you, and you wanted them to um, protect the culture, how did they know exactly what you're talking about? 
Well, I think you you do it through defining your values. And uh, a lot of organizations, they spend time, define, they go do an offsite, they spend the time identifying their values, and then they put them up on the wall, and then they go about the business of work and never refer back to the values. So the values don't ever actually inform the culture. Is that correct? They get too busy, they forget about it, and they never refer back to the values. And they're just there on the wall, and uh, you know, half the organization couldn't even repeat them. So the, once you spend all the time defining your values and the behaviors that go behind and alongside those values, how reinforcing them in our organizations. So the best in class organizations spend time at every touch point through hiring, onboarding, training, recognition, all the way to performance evaluations. And they spend time talking about their values in every phase. So all cultures actually start before we hire in how we're presenting our employer brand and what kind of employees we're trying to bring into the organization. And the next way we do it is we make sure we're hiring tough so that we can manage easy. We're taking the time to hire the right kind of employees, the right kind of skills, but also it's gotta be the right value fit. And, uh, and if we do that right, our retention rates are, are going to soar. So best-in-class organizations, they continually reinforce their values. And uh, an example I gave before was that weekly message that the CEO, Gary Kelly of Southwest Airlines, has been recording since 2004. He ends every one of those with a shout-out to how one of the employees is living the values. So that's one of the weekly ways that he's reinforcing it and talking about the values every week. And not only is it a great example for that employee and a pat on the back, but it also prescribes for everyone else something they can do to live the values and models the kind of behavior that the company is looking for. So the lie is, well, our values are on the wall. So clearly in your Uh, management style, leadership style, there's a relationship between organizational values and culture. So the values come first, and then the way the values are lived out or experienced, I guess, then that defines or shapes the culture. Is that the connection? Am I saying that right? You're saying that absolutely, uh, because those values, um, and the, the best way to do it is describe how those values translate into behavior. So one of the things we talked about at Southwest was looking at in our values, we were looking for employees who had a warrior spirit, a servant's heart, and a fun-loving attitude. And the stories that we told and the lessons that we taught within the organization lived out those particular values. So one of the things that that frustrated me as it relates to the tension around this lie is the fact that so many times the values went in a file or they, again, they went up on a wall or a plaque and then to your point, everybody gets busy. And so we uh, came up with our six um, employee values and instead of putting them on the wall, we put them on a cube so that we could put them on everyone's desk. And to your point too, we attached a question to each one of the values because the value statement is somewhat stagnant But when you attach a question to it, and I think you mentioned that, um, it forces me to personally engage. So one of our our staff values is make it better, make it better, make it better where you work, make it better 
based on what you see. And the question, of course, is, am I making it better? Well, you know, I've been pulled into the, the discussion of whether or not I'm actually living out this value. So I do really think it's important, that's why I wanted to pause on this, that people understand that values and culture are connected, but as leaders, we have to make that connection. Otherwise, we can have the perfect values, but if they're not lived out, and if, we're, if we don't give people handles, people aren't automatically gonna figure that out for themselves. So I think handles and applications as it relates to values is a big part of shaping culture. And then for folks in our situation who feel responsible for the culture, it gives us something to go back to that's concrete. Is that what yes, you've Yes, we have to have those behaviors. We have to continually talk about it. Yep. Um, and that's the only way to enforce it. Because if we're just talking about uh, a lot of organizations have integrity, for yeah, example, but what example. does that mean? Yeah. How are you living it? Right. And um, how, are you, how are you reinforcing that? So I like to say culture isn't a faucet that you can turn on and off. You can't just have those values on the wall and never refer to them again. You've got to continually build it in to every point along the way of, in the employee journey. So um, all the way from before you're bringing them in, all the way to performance evaluation. How are you talking about how that individual's living the values inside the organization every day? That's, that's great. All right. The fourth lie is if I empower my employees, I might lose control. If I empower my employees, I might lose control. And the truth is, you might, but it's worth it. Talk a little bit about this. This is a really big deal because our, our, our unwillingness to empower other people becomes the lid. It can become the lid to the whole organization, but it certainly becomes a lid to our influence in the organization. So this is huge. Yes, we, we've all, and I like to, uh, describe this as freedom in a framework, because um, if we we a lot of leaders feel that they're going to lose control if they give their employees power, but boy, they're going to miss out on so much individual contribution and empowerment. So if you look at freedom in a framework, all of us have a certain framework that that refers to our jobs, but. Boy, if we were able to give the freedom to our employees to actually use the personality and the skills we actually hire them for, um, that would be incredible. So we can all remember that situation with a 1-800 call we might have had where we can tell that that person is just on a script. Uh, they are going by the script. They're in that framework. And regardless of how we try to talk to them about our problem, they're not going to have any freedom to solve it. So um, an example, my husband recently ran across, he was on a 1-800 call, and the person was so empowered that they looked up his previous orders for ordering a shirt and realized he had actually ordered two different sizes. Uh, so in, and they were empowered to recognize that and say, hey, let's try to get you into the right size. So they literally sit him, sent him two sample shirts uh, so he'd order the right size. So he didn't only order two shirts, he ordered four shirts. Uh, and so that employee had been given a lot of freedom and a lot of information uh, to go about solving the problem. And I think anybody who's ever flown Southwest Airlines has seen that in the flight attendants because they have a basic framework. They're going to make their on-call announcement. They're on board the aircraft, but they can use their own personality. And what happens? They enjoy their job more and you're much more likely to listen to them. 
So for those leaders who are so formulaic in the way they want their product delivered, they're going to really miss some delightful surprises and that connection that goes along with the customer. Okay, so I can't not ask this question. And since you're not with Southwest Airlines anymore, now you can answer honestly. Surely that whole flight attendant thing got out of hand from time to time because there was so much freedom and so much humor and so much personality. And in in organizational life, of course, we have to orchestrate certain things and evaluate, orchestrate, evaluate, orchestrate, evaluate. Um, You probably didn't give the folks behind the counter that much flexibility in terms of how they check people in. I mean, there are certain things that have to be done a certain way. So at Southwest, what what was the the thought or the process behind, you know, we're going to orchestrate tightly in certain processes, and then we're going to give this, what seemed to us as customers, extraordinary leeway when it came specifically to um, flight attendants. What Talk a little bit about that, because that was amazing. Well, the flight attendants um, are able to, if they deliver the basic information from the that the Federal Aviation Administration right. is looking for. Buckle the your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, right. Buckle your seatbelt. But they're able to do it with a sense of humor. Absolutely. And, and the flight attendants, one of the things they knew is on the early morning flight, the 6 a.m. flight, the jokes are probably not going to go over as well because everybody just wants their cup of coffee and maybe to be able to go take an, another a nap or something. That's the same at the 9 a.m. service in church. Same thing. <laughs> right. They're more awake so you, at 11 a.m. Yeah, I get it. You judge yeah. you judge your audience. You definitely judge your audience. Uh, but the flight to Vegas, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> probably want a few more jokes going on. So, uh, the, so the employees. I, there was a rare occasion when when you had to reel someone back in. In fact, you can Google a flat, funny flight attendants on Southwest Airlines, and YouTube is going to get give you a lot back. Um, and it was encouraged. That's because Southwest is an organization that doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's one of our values. And that doesn't mean you have to be the funniest person in the room, but you just don't take yourself seriously. So you didn't have to be a funny person to be hired. Your great trait might have been empathy. And you gave that back uh, to other people as well. So we're we're looking for if you hire people right uh, and you bring them into their organization, you share your values, and uh, you're able to allow them to show their personality that you really hired them for it, that spark in the first place. So, so one more question on this. Were you in the room when the this idea first emerged? Because I don't know how I don't know when that happened, so excuse me for not knowing, but somewhere in a conversation, someone had this idea because the traditional spiel from a flight attendant, I mean, it's it's been it's been around so long no one even listens to it anymore. And this became, and again, this is a big topic for another day. This became um, outwardly facing anyway, the differentiator. I mean, you sort of check in the same way, you fasten the same seatbelt, I mean, a, a jet's a jet, you land, you get off. But somehow the differentiator became um, low cost for sure, but then the entertainment value. So, I mean, was this a flight, some rogue flight attendant that just went off and it was so funny, everybody's like, hey, we just got to do that. Do you, how did that begin? Well, I wasn't in the room because Southwest uh, was formed in 1971, and Herb Kelleher and Colleen Barrett, who started the airline, um, encouraged people to be themselves. That far back? 
that far back. Oh, the wow. air, if you go back and you look at uh, what was happening in 1971 when the airline got off the ground, um, they uh, their cocktails, they called them love potions because the airline was based at Love Field, <laughs> right? So they had, uh, the airline had fun uh, back in, and, and one of the things, Southwest didn't have a lot of money for advertising back in 1971. So how was it? going to set itself apart. And again, it started with the founder, Herb Kelleher, not taking himself too seriously and passing that along to employees and giving those employees that level of freedom. Um, so it not only was the flight attendants, but it would be somebody at the airport as well who might dress up in a costume, uh, you know, Easter bunny at Easter, have, just having a good time and being themselves um, with the customers. And it goes on to this day for people being able to show their personality at work. That's bring the whole bring their whole selves to work. Well, and again, and I know we need to move on, but the idea of bringing something so casual and so fun and so seemingly unscripted into an industry that is safety first, safety first, safety first. Those things, they don't seem to mesh up at all. So that seemed like a somewhat of a, a big risk, but obviously it paid off and it worked. There's a leadership lesson there somewhere for those of us who, again, who get so boxed in by our industry that we think the framework, you know, that the box is way smaller than perhaps it really is. So that that's amazing. Southwest was a disruptor early on. And how are, how are you going to break out with any of us in our brands? What is going to make us stand out? And how are we going to be different from the others? And every business, especially in a crowded field, has to figure out the differentiator. And that was a unique differentiator for sure. Uh, number five, line number five, we can't afford culture. We can't afford culture. And I'm assuming this, of course, comes from the fact that when people see um, the extravagance and the expense that some organizations go to to create culture, they think, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. So we're going to have a culture, but at the same time, we can't afford culture. You know, there's a there's some tension there. Talk a little bit about this one. You know, culture doesn't have to cost a lot to be effective. So I'd love to give some free ideas about that because we all, our spirit is willing, but our budget is weak. Yep. I get that. So how are we going to go about doing that? Um, and one of some of the free things I would tell people to do would be to put storytelling front and center because repeating those stories will help employees see the unlimited boundaries that they can go to to help solve problems for the customers, and it gives them so much personal empowerment. Number two, I'd say be inclusive in decision-making and involve employees who are closest to the work. Let them make the decisions. The example there was when it was time at Southwest to uh, get new uniforms the employees were charged with that task, a whole task force to decide what the new uniforms could look like. Yes, it took longer than probably just going <laughs> and, and just purchasing them, but the satisfaction rate was so much higher. And uh, again, be, being as inclusive in decision-making as possible. And then I would, we also uh, created volunteer opportunities for employees. And that, again, mixes up employees in different situations and how much value it brings back to the organization for allowing employees to get involved in representing their organization outside in the community. So 
put storytelling front and center. And um, I guess this one involved, uh, sometimes the way I say it is when you see it, you know, give people an opportunity to experience it. Like when you catch somebody doing the right thing, you elevate those stories. Because again, as we said earlier, values can be so stale, but when we catch somebody living out a value, anytime we can showcase or, or platform that experience or that story, that's super helpful. Number two, be inclusive with decision-making. Again, this is so hard for us, you know, as leaders, because it does take longer. And what do they know? And aren't we hired to have all the good ideas and come up with all the decisions? It does take so much longer. But um, not only is it empowering, but to your point, it reinforces a culture of we rather than they, and then create volunteer opportunities. Now, I'm so glad you brought up volunteering because you've recently, as we mentioned earlier, stepped up in that category to be the global chair of the Ronald McDonald House Charities. So, Again, how did you get involved? Again, the transition from for-profit to nonprofit was that an easy thing? Did you enjoy that? Is it so different or is it so much the same that you feel like you've been able to take your corporate experience into this nonprofit world? Well, my involvement in Ronald McDonald House actually started through Southwest Airlines because Southwest encouraged us as employees to get out and volunteer. And one of the things we did was cook at Ronald McDonald Houses. My first time to cook was in Kansas City at the house in 1990, and um, I was immediately hooked uh, because I saw what was happening through that family-centered care, the families actually involved in being able to be near their children when they were receiving uh, care. So um, it, it, it was a natural uh to continue to stay involved in that organization all these years later, serving on the global board for 10 years, and then now uh, the organization, seeing them grow to 65 countries and helping so many families, 2.5 million families every year. So while you were at Southwest Airlines, one of your volunteer opportunities was this that eventually became kind of a second career. That's pretty powerful. Well, and we never know how we're going to get hooked into a particular volunteer activity. So that's why I encourage um, employees to look at organizations that will foster that kind of environment for them uh, to allow them to represent their organization back out in the communities as well. Well, as we wrap up this two-part conversation, and again, for those of you who did not hear the first part of this conversation, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. Um, as, as we wrap this up, what if you had to give us an assignment? You know, we're we're sitting in class, and you've you know we've taken so many notes, we don't know what to do with them all, but we need to start somewhere. What what is one step that every leader can take right now as it relates to reinforcing or improving the health of their corporate culture? What would you say? Where do we start? I would tell that leader to live your values and to bring your values uh, to life every day as a leader. And um, so start being a collector of stories as a leader, because if, again, we've talked about this already, if your values are stagnant, they're not going anywhere. But start as a leader, start collecting stories. And when you see someone putting your company's values into action, Tell other people about that. Become a champion and a storyteller of your employees and how they're living their values. And uh, look at putting out an email if you see it in your organization. Talk about it at your team meetings. Whatever you're doing as a leader to amplify those stories and model the kind of behavior that you're leading and the kind of behavior you want to see in others. Yeah, celebrate it when you see it. Yep. 
Well, this has been fantastic. And again, it's an ongoing challenge for new organizations establishing corporate culture, for older organizations protecting it or reestablishing it, and then for the leader who drops in or inherits a culture that they know they need to change. Uh, there's so many takeaways. So thank you so much, Ginger. That's all the time we have for today. But to all of our listeners, we wanna thank you for joining us as well. And to learn more about Ginger's Culture Masterclass experience, it's called Unstoppable Cultures Fellowship, Unstoppable Cultures Fellowship, and you can find it at unstoppableculturesfellowship.com. In addition, make sure you visit andystanley.com where you can download the Leadership Podcast application guide that goes with today's content. So if you discuss this content with your leadership team, we have some questions there that will help keep the conversation going. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time for another episode of the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Thanks for joining us. 